Growing is where it requires more input, more effort, more sacrifice to get more results. Scaling is where it takes less input, less effort, less sacrifice to get more results. So scaling is the subtraction of effort and and contribution into the business to get more output. And growth is more, takes it takes more to get more. Welcome to You Are Buzzworthy. If you don't know who today's guest is and you're an entrepreneur, you are truly missing out. As anyone who is a regular listener of this show knows, I'm a big fan of his work and have had the privilege to get to know him personally over the last year. He has had the biggest influence on my personal entrepreneurial experience over the last four years than any other author in the space. He's a best-selling author of countless books like Pumpkin Plan, Fix This Next, Get Different, Clockwork, and my personal favorite, Profit First. Yes, our guest today is none other than Mike McCallowitz. And today we are going to talk about a few of the books he has written, how they have inspired him in his own entrepreneur journey, and how they have impacted the reimagination of my own. Let's join the conversation. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Buzz? Mr. Michael McCallowitz in the, the studio today, in his regular studio. <laughs> Welcome to the You Are Buzzworthy podcast. So uh, let me first of all say thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm pumped to, to be here with you. And I'm so happy I'm actually in my studio now, as opposed to how we did it last time, where it was just, <laughs> no my device was a nightmare. Yes. Well, it was, yeah, it's serendipitous. We get the second chance here. Um, I, you know, I always love us when we chat we just have uh we share a lot of the same views when it comes yeah. to entrepreneurialism we share the same passion in helping other people get educated on how to run profitable businesses um i'm a longtime admirer and just I'm, my audience knows already i don't have to say this but i want you to know that the two books that changed my entrepreneurial life over the last 17 years happened just a few years ago when i had the profit first which changed my entire understanding of money and business. And now how I even look at my personal business. And the second one was clockwork. Love clockwork. Uh, Haven't had a chance to do the revise, but I'm doing an EOS of my business. One of my employees told me, oh, "Oh, yeah, great. Have you, you, you've, you've read traction, right? I'm like, no, what's traction? They're like, dude, you run your business like EOS. I'm like, oh, well, let's go check it out. I start reading through. I'm like, yeah, I guess I kind of do. So I'm like, well, they've got all the cool tools. So I'm like, yeah, right. Give me tools. I'll do it. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's actually one of the best things is to find what you're already doing successfully and let's amplify it as opposed to kind of rerouting everything you're doing or having to build from the ground up. It's nice to continue that momentum. Yeah, Gino's book is amazing. Traction. Yes, I'm going to try to get him on my show as well. So if you can... Uh, Get me an introduction. I would love it. All right, I'll try to work. I want to congratulate you on Relay and your affiliation with that because I have been waiting for that type of tool in my banking to automate Mm. profit first. And so you want to give just a quick shout out to the the Relay uh, platform? They are amazing as an organization. I know many of the folks there. And the tool is superb. So just to give a little context, this is a process we've been going through almost three years of planning it out. I and our team did not want to say to any bank, okay, just run profit first on, you got this. We wanted to find a bank that really understood how to integrate profit first, 
how to serve this community. And uh, we dabbled with other banks. Um, we find Relay, we worked on it and worked on it. They have integrated Profit First fully. So it mm. automates it. You just go to bank. It's a free, no, no free. account yeah. fees or anything. You just set it up. And uh, it does all the transfers for you. It can automate it, can time it. They're actually implementing some second stage stuff that's not coming out yet, but it's really exciting. And so, uh, of course, I have a link if you want to check it out. It's RelayFI, so financial institution, RelayFI.com forward slash Mike. <laughs> there you go. We will make sure we get that into the show notes as well. I'm going to be a big proponent of it. I know I have sold a lot of your books for you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> already, you I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for my affiliate check to start coming. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, we just got our bank to finally get uh, you know all of everything done. I have two companies. And so we had we'd opened up another company at the beginning of this year. And we had just finally got everything set up. And we're like, Oh, there's Relay. I'm like, okay, so we'll wait just because everybody just got settled in and we did a lot of work to get there because yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. use it 100%. And I'll make sure that everybody has a direct link to your Amazon, unless you have another place you want them to buy their book. But I will make sure that you know the Amazon link's in, in there as well because Pop It First and Clockwork are the two things. How you look at your money and then how do you approach to work on your business, not in your business. Yeah, I was an early adopter of Michael Gerber sure. uh, on Emith. Lots and of great I mics around, you know. Yeah, I know. I'm telling you, that's why I go by Buzz. Now, <laughs> so, yeah, Michael Gerber, Mike Michalowicz, and Buzz. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> there you go. So maybe I'll write an awesome book like you guys someday. So that's, I think you will. <laughs> Just a quick uh, thing about Michael Gerber. He and I spoke at an event, same event, um, maybe ten years ago. And we went out to dinner together afterwards. And I asked him about Emith and the challenge he sees in the implementation. And it was fascinating. He told me, and I'm paraphrasing, that when people implement Emith and the thesis that don't work in, work on, he said that most people think here's a switch. If you work in the business long enough, that all of a sudden it just miraculously operates itself. He goes, that's the worst scenario. You actually integrate more. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote Clockwork, I was like, oh, how do I make this a throttle? How do I show the reader the steps to extraction? Mm-hmm. And it, it won't happen overnight, but you do need to start tomorrow if you want to be out of your business in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. You've got to start peeling yourself out. And um, that's what clockwork is about. I, I call it going from the doing stage of work where you're integrated to ultimately the designing phase, which is the visionary. The visionary versus the implementer, which in traction talks about that. I know it's like, yeah. and I think I'm going to have to put together the essential reading list of Michael Bazinski, like Buzz's essential reading list. Oh, and I, like like what I look at because I apply most of what I have read for my business into what I do for my clients in the marketing world because it's not much different. I mean, each of the departments are, are kind of little micro businesses, right? And they're vendors of each other and they're clients of each other, you know, within the company. And if yeah. we apply what we know about business overall to our individual departments, you can get a lot farther. And Traction yeah. does that really well. It says, hey, listen, you're at the visionary level and this is what your implementer needs to do. And this is what you're, the folks that are beneath that, you know, and who's responsible for what type of thing. So I, I really love Clockwork. It was the book that got me the bandwidth, that pushed me to the bandwidth, I should say, because it really, it put a fire under my butt and said, mm. hey, right at the beginning, you're like, you need it in the next, I think it was like 12 to 18 months, no more yes. than 18. Mm-hmm. And I had just reinvented my business at that point. And 18 months was right at when I was wanting to take my wife on her dream trip to Peru to see Machu Picchu. Oh, so cool. I did not have the money, nor yeah. did I have the bandwidth when I made that commitment. Yeah. 
We went full concierge three weeks in Peru, saw Machu Picchu, the sea, everything we wanted to see over a three-week period out of my business for almost four weeks total, almost to the day at 18 months. And that was because of that book. And and, and, and so anybody tells me they're really suffering uh, working in their business, it's not as much about the e-myth anymore. Is it about just like, dude, you just need to get your clockwork on. Done Thank it. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, was, you know, I, I suffered from the same ailment of pure financial loss. I had nothing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I documented that in my books and, and how I had to recover and, and, and still in the process to taking up the next level. But it was the loss of everything that awoken me to what I call entrepreneurial poverty. Yes. And I thought it was just financial struggles. And that's absolutely one. But there's time struggle. Most entrepreneurs who are stuck in the struggle, and that is actually most entrepreneurs, sacrifice family, friends, personal time. It's all about work. And there's other types of struggle too. There's the soulful struggle where mm. poverty in, in doing what we hate doing, but we have to do it. Right. So every book I work on is like, what's another form of poverty we're experiencing? And I need to resolve this selfishly for myself, just okay. like you. Like everything you teach in marketing, you're implementing. Everything I write is something I've implemented in my business, tested thoroughly, and only when it works do I put it out there. With clockwork, what I try to find is what's the one thing that cascades all of the other things. If you take your problem first, everything else kind of starts falling into alignment. Clockwork, what I found is if the business owner commits to removing themselves, it starts this cascade effect. So if you commit to this four-week vacation, the reason it's four weeks is most businesses touch every single element of the business during these four-week cycles. We close out every month and so forth. If the owner can be extracted, not available, the business has to run for the four weeks on its own, and therefore, life can run into perpetuity. Now, what happens is when you commit to Peru or wherever you're going to go, and listen, it's not about the vacation as much as it's about the business getting a vacation from you. Exactly. You your mom-in-laws, if you want. Mm-hmm. Just, just get out. Mm-hmm. What happens is the next morning or then that moment, our mind goes, holy crap, I can't keep doing everything. I need to start thinking strategically and systematizing. So we start focusing on the technology. We maybe bring on contractors or employees or part-timers or, or whatever it is, but we start assembling it. The last thing I wanted to share on this, when I took my first four-week vacation, I was terrified that my own employees would say, Mike, you're going to go to the beach. You're going to be drinking Coronas down there. And we're working here in the sweatshop to, to, for you to have a great trip. Mm-hmm. The reality was I was leaving the business because I trusted them. I wanted to give them the keys. It's the ultimate form of empowerment. And they saw that. And I simply also stated that. I said, I'm, I'm leaving because I trust you. When I came back from the four-week vacation, I said, you know, how badly do you need me back? Start working right now or you can take another four weeks. And they said, basically, you can take another four weeks, but we, we like you around, but we don't need you anymore. We've never felt so proud of ourselves. And they wanted to show their success. My assistant, over time, stepped into being the president of our company. She operates our company today. Nice. And... People stepped up in ways I never anticipated, and they never would have had the opportunity if I kept on blocking them by doing everything. Exactly. Like being there, one of my biggest failures in entrepreneurs when, uh, when I had grown my creative agency broke. Multi-million dollar creative agency, wasn't even paying myself six figures. Okay, That was the pain I was in. That's the pain I had to walk away from because I was like, I literally own a job and I hate my job. <laughs> and I hate so my common. boss because he makes me work way too much. <laughs> right, he's a total dad. <laughs> so it's funny because you know we talk about the most important number, and that's a book that's that's out there as well. That's really kind of goes into the queen bee um, uh, mentality that you talk about, and everybody 
understanding where they're at in the company now versus where they would like to be later and allowing them the space to do it. And so I really have adopted the visionary versus the implementer, you know, separation of the two. And so it's not that the company doesn't need you because without a captain, the visionary, the, the navigator, which is the, usually the implementer, right? To says, okay, I want to go that way. Okay, that's great. But somebody's still got to steer the boat that way, right? And it's not just mm-hmm. a straight line, right? Mm-hmm. You, got, you got things in the way, you know, other boats, uh, land masses, storms, everything, right? Big waves. You got you to navigate around and that's your implementer for me. And so when I'm talking to my staff and saying, hey, listen, I'm going to be gone for a few weeks, they're like, yes, you are, you're not out of the way. They know it's a test. But they also know that their vision is so that I don't have to be there. We do everything through chat because we're 100% virtual. And I chatted a guy. I was like, hey, how is the one of our key clients? And he's like, oh, yeah, we're already in phase two. I'm like, are they happy? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're, they're awesome. I says, I love the fact that you guys are moving forward with something. I have no idea what's going on. And he laughed and he said, thank you. Because he knows that's my vision for him. My vision is that he is an intrapreneur of my business. And that he has ownership. It's part of our values. Work like you own the place, right? Mm. And I only bring in entrepreneurs into my leadership because I need that. I want them to have ownership of their position, ownership of the direction of the company, because without them, and I let them know all the time, without them, my vision can't become reality because I can't do it by myself. Yeah. You know what's so cool? When I did the rewrite of Clockwork, it's 60% new content. I wrote it from the ground up, from the studs, up, if you will. And um, it's 100% reorganized. So I think it's a much simpler process. One of those questions came up regularly from readers of the first version saying, I want my employees to act like owners. So I started exploring this because I want that too. And I realized, oh, you can do that through a concept called psychological ownership. I have a new book coming out. It's called All In. It's available for pre-order right now on Amazon. <laughs> hey, well, um, hey, give me the link. I'll make sure that I was actually, <laughs> I, I, don't even, I don't know if you remember, I was on the test early on before you had start writing the book, you guys were doing the research and I was in one of the yeah. workshops you guys did testing out the five-star Concept. implementation and stuff. Yes. I, oh, I, oh, I'm, totally so, I'm so pumped to be bringing it to my company. I'm like, <laughs> I, I totally remember. And, and the feedback you gave was transformative. I worked with you. There was quite a few other folks. We tested stuff internally and we found, among other things, this concept called psychological ownership. Yeah. And the analogy is really interesting. No one washes a rental car. No one takes their rental car you know, to the car wash before returning it. Right. But your own car, you probably take care of much better. So the question is, why do we treat a car that we own well and one we rent not well? Because ironically, in most cases, we don't own either. So there's legal ownership. And I have a pickup truck. Uh, I have a bank note on it. I'm mm-hmm. making my monthly payments. Um, I don't own the vehicle. It's owned by the bank, but I treat that like it's my baby. When I go to Hertz and I rent a car for the day, the second they get through that demilitarized zone of a checkout with, you know, show your <laughs> license for the hundredth time and, you know, the, the bolts or the nails come down. I peel out as fast as I can. I am punching it. I will accelerate as fast as I can out of green lights. Sometimes I'll do donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> that's maybe that's just me, but I abuse it. Here's what happens. When we're assigned responsibility, we usually comply with what we must do, what we know we're going to check on, but then we exploit what is not expected of us. Mm. So the rental agency says, 
Make sure it's returned to the full tank of gas. Mm-hmm. So last minute, and I'm not going to fill it full. I'm just going to get to the F, right? That's what everyone does is cut it off. I won't overfill it. Make sure there's no dents or scratches and it's clean interior. Right. That's what you'll get back from me. But I'm going to abuse the car otherwise. Yeah. Because they set these hard expectations, a checklist. Mm-hmm. Now, with my own car where I own it, the transfer of the trust, if you will, is simply mm-hmm. the dealer says, this is yours now. Mm-hmm. And now I have control over it. There is no expectation that I re- return with a full tank of gas. It's my baby. I can personalize it too. I can mm-hmm. put up the fuzzy dice. Mm-hmm. What research has identified is that when our employees are given control over something, when they're allowed to personalize something, when they're given intimate knowledge, they know the creaks, the crunches of something, they actually have a greater affinity toward it. So it's ironic. Many traditional managers say, do these things and you better comply or you're in mm-hmm. trouble. It's a punitive approach. But the best leaders have a communal approach. This is something that belongs to us, our organization, but we carve out a piece that belongs to you. Personalize, express yourself. Mm-hmm. And by giving that psychological ownership, people start behaving like it is theirs because psychologically it is. And that's when people elevate to the next level. I, totally I thought it was fascinating, that yeah. behavior. I, you know, it's, it's funny because I've been reading about intrapreneurship um, yeah. and the psychological ownership, right? And even with that said right there, if you can, as a leader, position their responsibility in a way that allows them to control the difficulty of their position, meaning that if it's hard, tell me why and how it could be less hard. Because that just means, to me, that means efficiency. Efficiency equals profit. That's my job, creating a profitable company that does good, right? That's pretty much everybody's business, right? And mm-hmm. so when I allow my folks, when we're doing our, our issues uh, for the EOS now, issues thing, it's like those issues right there are like, why didn't you love your job last week, right? What are the things precluding you to like being completely giddy to clock in? Right. Mm-hmm. In my company, you're not late unless you're late for a meeting. Right. There's no clocking and clocking out. You just do your, your where everybody's virtual and it's like, get it done. Here are the due dates. I don't care when you work, as long as we can get hold of you during the day in a reasonable amount of time. And other than that, I'm not micromanaging anybody and I don't let anybody else micromanage the team either. Right. So with that said, okay. So mm-hmm. I'm giving you all the parameters to enjoy your little micro business, if you will, your job, right? Because you're you're your own boss now. What can we do to make it better? And that mm. right there is another piece of ownership besides that. Totally. Question, though, why did you write, rewrite Clockwork? What motivated you? Yeah. So, well, reader feedback. And okay. um, first of all, there were some confusion points. One was this transfer from doing through a phase what's called deciding, then delegating, then ultimately to designing and to make that easier. The kind of the one that was the shocker was I had multiple people read Clockwork and said, I'm implementing this. I like it or love it in some capacity. But, and there was a big but, but I can't share this with my employees because I don't want them to know that I'm taking advantage of them or that I'm going to be reaping the rewards and they're not. I'm like, my God, that's the opposite of the message. This is about elevating the entire team. Right. So I rewrote the book to include employees, which I didn't have in the first one. So every chapter has a exclusive employee section. Uh-huh. It also allows the employee to understand the owner's thinking of what they're navigating. Nice. So that was another big component. There was lots of micro components. So those were kind of the big motivators, those two components. But over the years of the first version being out, I had hundreds of pieces of great feedback of, could you make this simpler? Could you make this more accessible? The last thing I want to share, and I I, I don't know if I put in the open the book, one of the biggest confusion points I didn't even address at all was the difference between growing a business and scaling a business. Most people I've read the book and I'm communicating with as entrepreneurs say that they're scaling their business. 
But when I looked at them, they're not scaling, they're growing, but they don't know. And I didn't provide what the definition is. So I'll share it now. I share it in the book. Growing is where it requires more input, more effort, more sacrifice to get more results. Scaling is where it takes less input, less effort, less sacrifice to get more results. So scaling is the subtraction of effort and contribution into the business to get more output. And growth is, it takes more to get more. By bringing that clarity, most people are saying they're scaling when they're actually growing. And it's an exhaustive process. You can't keep growing by working harder and longer, by putting more and more in. At a certain point, we need to flip over where you start subtracting stuff and you see bigger results. So clockwork is about properly scaling a business. I want to first thank Mike for taking time out of his busy schedule to share stories with me on the podcast. I encourage every single one of you to check out the show notes for the quick links to the books we mentioned in the show. You don't have to read them all, but if you haven't already, you owe it to yourself to read Profit First. If you are just starting out in business, I suggest Pumpkin Plan. And if you own an established business and are looking to take a break from your business for a month at a time while it continues to grow without you, then read Clockwork. He has many others to choose from and they are all great. So go to your favorite book outlet to see his full catalog. Well, that's it for another episode of the You Are Buzzworthy podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to like and subscribe to the show. Your support goes a long way to getting what we share on this show in front of many more just like you. So let's make this world a better place with awesome entrepreneurs thriving and making a positive impact. And until next time, stay buzzworthy.